Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Something happened during Kirby Smart's press conference on Saturday that you don't normally see. It was a pretty quick turn of the page from the Missouri game, a game which Georgia dominated, won 43-6, to this upcoming Saturday's game against Tennessee. And I have to tell you this, and I know that you're going to hear this and think, well, this is just B.A. being Larry Munson or B.A. being Vince Dooley. You kind of B.A. calling up some of these you know, legends of the past who had very careful ways of describing upcoming games. You're going to think this fits into that description, and maybe it does. I happen to think it does, and I happen to think this is kind of an authentic, genuine opinion. But the fact of the matter is I expect this upcoming game against Tennessee this upcoming Saturday to be a four-quarter battle. I expect Tennessee to give Georgia a pretty big test. Yes, Georgia's a huge favorite in the game. More on that, by the way, later on in the show but in this particular case I'm not quite so sure that the expected spread means all that much to me part of this is just based on the fact that Georgia's now won you know in dominant fashion how many weeks in a row Uh, at a certain point in time everyone's challenged a little bit Georgia might be due for one more challenge before the season's done there's a there's a chance that's the case and also part of this is just simply based on some of what Kirby Smart said uh, after the game on Saturday, he was asked about Tennessee. He was ready to talk about the Vols, and he gave, in my mind, a pretty, you know, significant handful of specific warnings about why this game against Tennessee on, on Saturday is going to matter for George and why it's going to be a fairly important measuring stick to find out just how ready the dogs are for the playoff push and the championship chase that's on the way. So I think for a moment we should all take Kirby Smart and his words here. Pretty seriously about this Saturday's game against the Vols. Take a listen to this. We need to be focused on Tennessee. You know, I mean, playing in a, a really tough environment, one of the toughest places to play in the country. Um, their fan base is is bought in, all in on Coach Heupel and his staff. Uh, it will be a, a tremendous atmosphere and opportunity in which so many other conferences don't have teams that maybe aren't in the hunt for, you know, maybe an SEC championship that have that much passion that they're going to sell it out and be really loud. It will be a great atmosphere, and our players will need to prepare for it. We will need to prepare our players for it. It's going to be a really tough physical game. They've got a really good football team. I've been able to watch them play, you know, several weeks that we've either been off or or we had this early game, and you get to see them at night. And they've actually played a lot better than some of their scores indicate. And uh, I've got a lot of respect for their team and and how hard they play. So um, I think our guys realize they got a little bit of a wake-up call today that this was not uh, probably a sub – par outing uh, for us in terms of execution and uh, and play style for us. So clearly Smart is a hard-driving coach, and you know it would take a coach like Smart to describe a 43-6 to win as a wake-up call in any form or fashion whatsoever, but Smart says that's what they got against Missouri, and obviously the players themselves have also echoed that, thinking they did, certainly played an imperfect game, even though it was a blowout win against the Tigers, and you know, maybe that factors in all this there as well. But for me, it's really more about the unique way in which Tennessee is kind of going about its business this year. I also take it pretty seriously what Smart says there, too, that there is just a different vibe in the SEC, and this is 100% true, that by the time you get to November, it seems like, you know, there are a few teams that still feel like they have something to play for, and there is just like check out, you know, tune out, zone out, 
you know, you know, uh, opt out all across the country where fans have stopped paying attention. Some of them are thinking about basketball. Some of them are thinking about hunting season. Some of them are thinking about whatever else, but they're not thinking about uh, football as much anymore. The players themselves are kind of thinking about what's coming next for them. But in the SEC, late in the season, games like this, you still have that have that huge vibe that, that can be created around a game, even though for, for Tennessee, they really have nothing to play for but pride against Georgia. What it kind of reminds me of is, and I'm not suggesting the same thing's going to happen on Saturday, but you remember back in 2016 when Auburn was ranked the top 10, Georgia had already lost several games, including embarrassing games like like Vanderbilt, had lost Florida, had lost Tennessee, had gotten blown out by Ole Miss. It's late in the season. Uh, Auburn had something to play for. Georgia had nothing. But if you were in Sanford Stadium in 2016 for that November tilt, a little bit cold, similar to what's going to be on Saturday, the fans were, Georgia fans were packed. They were making a ton of noise. They just treat a big game like that against a rival as a big game when Georgia had very little to play for the Georgia Auburn game in 2016 still felt like a very big game and on Saturday I think Tennessee fans do the same thing against Georgia yes they've lost a couple of times already this year in some cases they haven't looked very good in doing so but they don't need an excuse to make this feel like a big game now I'm not going to go so far as to say that the same way that Georgia upset Auburn as a top 10 opponent on the road in 2016 when Auburn came into Athens the same thing's going to happen for Tennessee here but the, the atmosphere that Kirby Smart describes, Georgia fans themselves can say, yeah, we've experienced that before because they helped create that in a game like Auburn in 2016. So everybody's kind of on the same page about all that. But the real reason why I think this Georgia-Tennessee game sets up to be kind of interesting on Saturday is the way in which Tennessee got a win against uh, Kentucky this past weekend. Let me give you a couple of numbers. I find this to be pretty crazy. And I thought that uh, our, our friends over at Kentucky Sports Radio did a pretty good job of kind of chronicling everything that happened for Kentucky on Saturday against Tennessee in a game that the Vols won. But if you looked at the stat sheet, I think a lot of folks would say, wow, Kentucky's doing about everything it wants to do, and yet it's still not mattering. Let me read you a few sentences here. This was from uh, from KSR's website. Uh, the writer says, it's going to take a while to unpack what happened at Kroger Field tonight. Listen to this, y'all. Kentucky amassed over 600 yards of total offense, didn't punt once, had the ball for over 46 minutes, and still lost to Tennessee. Kentucky ran 99 plays, had 35 first downs, 5 of 5 in the red zone. He says the more you look at the box score, the more ridiculous it is. He says while we continue to digest the loss, you can look at more of the stats. And so here are a couple of things that matter to me. On third down against uh, Tennessee this past Saturday, uh, Kentucky was – let me see if I can find this number. Hold on one second. Uh, Kentucky on third down was uh, 12 of 17. Converted third downs, 12 of 17, uh, 5 of 5 and scoring in the red zone. That's the entirety of the efficient offense you want to have, right? But uh, Tennessee still won the game, even though its total time of possession on the day was, what, less than 15 minutes all the way around? Uh, 13 minutes, uh, a little bit less than 14 minutes of time of possession and still won the game in explosive fashion, average about 11 yards per play uh, all the way around. That's a unique test coming up on Saturday. And I think it's the kind of opponent that I think puts a little bit of pressure on Georgia to say, okay, so this is your last chance to show us before we get to December. This is your last chance to show us. Are you really, are you really ready for whatever comes your way once you get to the SEC championship game, once you potentially get to the college football playoff? Are you really ready for the entire gamut of what might be coming down the, uh, the, the pike for you? Because this is clearly a Tennessee team that doesn't need the ball very much to score. 
this is the kind of Tennessee team that's going to say, hey, we're going to do everything we can to block up front the best we possibly can, and we're just going to let it fly down the field. And we're going to see if we can make a couple big plays, and we may get stuffed a bunch, but we may strike on one or two, and all of a sudden this game starts to feel a little bit closer. I think that's pretty interesting. Now, we're going to hear a lot more from Kirby and the rest of these Georgia players on this the rest of the week, but I guess just heed this warning to begin with. Kirby told you on Saturday that be careful about the uh, Vols going into this weekend. I would say for the most part, just given the way they played against Kentucky, given the way they've been explosive all year long, I think it's the kind of warning we're going to take pretty seriously here, uh, at least for right now. Now, let me transition to this, that let's say what I just said is true. Let's say it does turn out that, hey, Tennessee scores enough points to put a little pressure on Georgia. The game feels a little tighter, a little closer than most of the fourth quarters have for UGA as of late. It could, in a roundabout way, have an interesting impact on another ongoing with a topic with UGA right now. Stetson Bennett once again started at quarterback on Saturday. You know, had a couple throws he probably would have liked to have had back, but for the most part, the numbers actually look pretty good. Then the second half, got a chance to see uh, JT Daniels, who stepped back on, made some good throws, probably takes some of the blame for the interception there uh, that was kind of behind Jermaine Burton. Burton got a hand on it, ended up being picked. But overall, we got to see a return to action for JT Daniels on Saturday. What I said on the postgame show Saturday night from the UJ Bookstore was, or Saturday afternoon, I guess it was, we were doing the show. But what I said during that postgame show was, the fact that Daniels was playing at all was, to me, a signal that Kirby Smart was at least open to considering the idea that Daniels could return as Georgia's quarterback. I think prior to this, for the most part, Kirby Smart's kind of been a one-quarterback-at-a-time type guy. Think about 2018, where for the most part, uh, you know, once it was established that Jake Fromm was the starting quarterback, we didn't really see Justin Fields throwing the football very much at all. Go back to 2017, after Jacob Eason got hurt, Jake Fromm stepped in. Once Eason was healthy and able to play back again, we really didn't see him doing very much of that. Certainly didn't see him throw the ball. That for the most part, that Kirby Smart's just kind of been a one quarterback at a time type guy. Daniels playing as much as he did, getting a chance to throw it, getting a chance to run the offense, would lead you to believe that, hey, you know, maybe maybe this is still an open competition that Daniels still has a chance to reemerge. And obviously, a lot of Georgia fans hope that is the case. Daniels remains. Uh, I think quite popular with UGA fans, maybe even the majority of Georgia fans, want to see Daniels return and take the reins at this quarterback spot here once again. For what it's worth, this was the evaluation that Smart gave of Daniels after getting a chance to play on Saturday. This is Kirby. I know he did a nice job while he wasn't in the game. He was over by me calling out the defenses, the checks, going through them like he was playing the game. And uh, to hear him call out the coverages and, and the checks and know exactly what he's planning on going to, uh, it was really good. It gives, you, it gives you a lot of confidence in him when he's over there making those and talking to Stetson when he comes off the field. thought he had really good command of the offense when he went in. He's got great poise in the pocket. Uh, did a tremendous job. Got a little unfortunate on the, the tip ball, you know, a little off on Jermaine and then – hit Jermaine in the hands, and then it bounced off and ricocheted uh, to end up being a pick. So let me go back to the point I was making a moment ago that if it really is true that Kirby Smart's getting choice, getting close to making his choice, his determination one way or another, if that really is true, then a close game against Tennessee could certainly help that come to resolution sooner rather than later. Because as I said before, against Kentucky on Saturday, Tennessee didn't need the football very long to be explosive which might mean that Georgia doing what it typically wants to do, run the football, be efficient, move the chains, keep the ball, take advantage of scoring opportunities once you get to the red zone, things like that, that uh, all of a sudden that might be one of those games where if, if Setson Bennett does that and, and, and produces a big win, 
maybe at that point in time, it really is Stetson Bennett's team. But if it's also one of those games that Tennessee puts enough pressure on Georgia with its own explosive offense, even against this terrific Georgia defense, if it puts enough pressure there offensively, that all of a sudden Georgia is forced to consider, okay, which of these two quarterbacks give us the most chance to be explosive? After all, we've come to believe that in SEC championship games and college football playoff games and national championship runs, explosiveness on offense really does matter. Plenty of Georgia fans would say that Daniels gives you the best chance to do that. So let's assume for the sake of conversation here for a moment that it is truly a situation on Saturday where Tennessee gives you a test they show some explosiveness offensively then that actually might give Georgia fans to find out a little bit more about what really is going on here at quarterback and which of these two guys between Stetson Bennett who's had the reins JT Daniels who once had them which of these two guys really is best position for the championship run that would would appear to be on the way My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. We're also available in podcast form wherever you find them, the Apple Player, Spotify, Google, the worldfamousdognation.com. So many different ways for you to get the uh, program, and we really appreciate you being with us here for all of them. Also, a big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, Pella Window and Door of Georgia can help equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. That's important right now. It's cold right now at night. That means the heat is on for so many of us. My house, certainly that's the case. And if you've got inefficient windows and doors, not only do they look bad on the outside, but also that's the kind of thing that's allowing you know, that energy to escape out of your house. You know, Think about the, the, the entry door to your house. It's a big opening, right? And if you have you know, not properly sealed, in, in, inefficient from an energy standpoint, an entry door like that, a lot of uh, stuff is going to be escaping out of your house there. The same thing for your windows there too. You're paying money on all this heat, goodness knows, this year it's expected to be more expensive than ever well you want to keep that in your house where it's supposed to be that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia gives you a chance to do they also give you great savings there as well between now and November 27th you can get 40% off qualifying installations or payments as low as $99 a month with regular payments a couple different ways for you to get in touch you can give them a call 678-638-1496 that's 678-638-1496 or you can use the website PellaofGA.com slash dognation that's PellaofGA.com slash dognation just be sure to tell them the BA from Dog Nation Daily so they take good care of it because I know that they will. All right, we've got John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. We'll do all kinds of stuff with John about what we saw against Missouri, what you might expect to see against Tennessee, and how Georgia fits into a college football playoff and national championship discussion right now that would seem to see almost everybody in the country struggling but Georgia. How long can that continue, and is that really a harbinger of what may happen come December and January when the sport really kicks into high gear. We'll talk to John about all of that here coming up in just a little bit. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse here today, assisted by our friends at AAA. And, you know, we talked a lot a moment ago about what happened yes on Saturday and the presence of Stetson Bennett, the presence of JT Daniels. And obviously a quarterback conversation takes a lot of air out of the room. It's just going to be a lot of attention paid to that. People do seem to kind of side with one guy more so than the other i think the good news is you don't see that with the team itself they seem to be pretty content here no matter what happens but fans are certainly going to divide themselves on this particular topic however i think what should not be lost sight of on saturday is something else going on with the offense that i think has the potential to really speak to what could be coming the rest way here for georgia that very quietly 
Georgia's starting to get a little bit healthier. You saw Jermaine Burton back playing again. His impact was felt in a major way. Came very close to having three touchdowns. Ultimately finishes with a touchdown, but he was out at the one twice. He could have had three touchdowns. We talked before about the way in which uh, Arian Smith can be so explosive with just a small number of touches and what that might mean for Georgia later on this season. Well, another example of that on Saturday, he was back. He found the end zone. To say nothing of what Ladd McConkie continues to do and obviously the tight end spot with Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers all being involved. Uh, John Fitzpatrick had himself for a catch on Saturday there too. Pretty quietly, Georgia's getting a lot of weapons back, and pretty quietly, that becomes a nice additional component to go along with everything else that Georgia has in store for you offensively. In fact, Smart did not hold back in acknowledging that himself, this from uh, Saturday after the game. Smart, happy to see those wideouts who've been injured now for quite some time, some of them starting to work their way back. Yeah, I thought this game was the closest. I thought, you know, Arian had a, a full week. We met on Monday, said, you're getting your full quota, you got to go. You got to get your reps to be able to play. Jermaine, hey, you're getting your full reps. Coming off Florida, they were both – I felt like they were both healthy Florida, but they weren't healthy the week of practice. And I feel like they were both healthy this week of practice, which helped us from a depth standpoint to be able to rep. You know, Lad got to share reps, so he didn't have to take the burden. Uh, JJ, Kieris, uh, AD, and, you know, when we, when we were fully healthy at receiver – excluding George and Dom, we have a we have a good unit, you know, with George and Dom, then that's what we thought going, you know, into the season it would be special. But uh, we're working to try to get those guys back and I thought the perimeter this week, I was so much oh, that, that that touchdown by Jermaine Burton, you know, nobody talks about it. Kiaris goes out and throws a great block and so did A D to get Jermaine untouched into the end zone. That that to me is the ultimate sign of selflessness at receiver. Selfless, selfless, easier for smart to say than it is for me. Selflessness at receiver is certainly an interesting description there. And this is an ensemble cast that could pay big dividends for, for Georgia. And I think when you think of what Georgia has done offensively thus far this season, they're on the verge of averaging more points per game than at any point in time in the Kirby Smart era. This after the offense, for the most part, was kind of held off the board completely in the season opener against Clemson. Think about the way the Georgia offense has performed since then is really pretty remarkable, especially given all of the injuries that Georgia has dealt with in the midst of all of that. I think it speaks to what they've done with Todd Munkin's leadership and the guys that have been healthy, that remains to be a, a pretty amazing story. And it's a story that I think has the chance to get even better now that Burton is back making plays. That Arian Smith is back being a threat to to break a game open with his, what was it that uh, Stetson Bennett said on Saturday, stupidly fast speed. Obviously, that, that's kind of what Smith brings the table there for you and everything else there too. This is a Georgia team that, has been limited in the kind of weapons it could deploy offensively, but it's not quite feeling so limited anymore. And these guys appear to be getting healthy at exactly the right time. That's around the doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA. And of course, when you check out AAA, obviously you know them for their legendary roadside assistance. That's something that we turn to all the time here around Dog Nation driving to Knoxville here this weekend, obviously all across the state on high school football all, all, all season long. When you're on the road a bunch, it's just nice to know that you got AAA if something goes wrong there. But it's also important to know that AAA can do so much more for you than just the uh, roadside assistance for which they're famous. How about auto insurance? Did you know that when you switch and save with AAA, you can save on average $529? That's real savings. That's extra money in your pocket at a time in which we could all use that. Let's face it, there's some uh, hard times uh, certainly when it comes to things being more expensive and everything just being a little bit tougher. So 
anywhere that you can find some savings, anywhere that you can find the chance to have a little bit more money in your pocket. It's the kind of decision that you owe it to yourself to make, including switching your auto insurance and taking advantage of $529 on average worth of savings with my friends at AAA. So here's the website. It's aaa.com slash auto insurance. That's aaa.com slash auto insurance, aaa.com slash auto insurance. You can switch and save with AAA today. All right, you better believe that before we're done today, we are going to get to the debacle in Gainesville after Florida went on the road, lost badly to South Carolina on Saturday, and a couple of Florida assistants, including a name that Georgia fans know very well, Todd Grantham, head on the chopping block for yesterday. We'll talk about that. Also, what an interesting comparison ongoing right now between Georgia and Alabama, as Georgia just keeps right on rolling, and Alabama struggling a little bit. And in fact, it's not even a given that Alabama even wins the SEC West, that that anticipated SEC title game matchup between Georgia and Alabama. Crimson Tide have some work to do just to make that even happen. So we'll touch on all of this before we're done. But for now, everything on Georgia, Missouri, what you saw, what you expect to see this Saturday, and what I've said before, I believe will be a test for the dogs against Tennessee. Let's do it all with John Stinchcomb right now. It's a classic city logger insider update. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So a Classic City Logger insider update with John Stinchcomb, and a lot to talk to John Stinchcomb about. First of all, John, uh, let me begin this way. You were in the stadium on Saturday. It was great to be able to see you. And what a moment that was with Coach Rick there at halftime. I'm sure we'll end up talking more about this here this week. I just thought it was a tremendously fitting tribute. I thought the Red Coat Band and the music selections they made to honor Rick's legacy was really, you know, in some cases almost funny, in other cases just really enjoyable, very cool. And, uh, you know, the, the video was so well done. And, you know, John, I'm of the age where, you know, I was growing up, uh, you know, as a kind of a young college, out of college, and, you know, those early, you know, young days of life, you didn't have a ton of responsibility, but you had just enough money, you could find a way to buy a ticket and be at a game. I was going to so many of those Rick games and traveling to those road games back then. And, I got great memories of the Mark Richt era there from that time, and I'm happy to see him get a a celebration on Saturday that I was uh, that I thought was so well done, so well deserved. I know you were a big part of that. What was it like personally to be on the field for all of that, and maybe any kind of you know uh, moment you had with Coach Rick just to tell him how much you appreciated him? Well, it was hard earned and well deserved. I just uh, so grateful to be a part of it, and he's meant so much to so many, and. You saw the turnout with the captains, and th- th- that was just a, a small representation of so many of the players that were at the game. One, I was shocked to see there was 70, 80 guys at least that I either played with or have met through charity functions that played at Georgia after me and wanted to be there to support and, and recognize Coach Rick and what he's done in all of our lives. And uh, you, you hit the nail on the head when – uh, it was just so well executed. The video was perfect. The uh, the crowd response to Coach Rick and just seeing the way that they respond to him. Um, it just shows what he's meant to this school. And, you know, for me personally, I was able to talk to Coach Rick and his wife, Catherine, both, uh, right at halftime and um, share some, some memories with them and just enjoy the atmosphere because, um, when you go through uh, college and, and sports with someone that uh, has meant so much to you, it, it's nice to be able to uh, share and, and 
express your gratitude to him. And I watched as a series of players just lined up to uh, say thanks and, and spend some time just reconnecting. So it was, it was a really special Saturday. You love to be able to see that. And obviously, as far as the game itself goes, uh, I think you've heard kind of a consistent theme from certainly Kirby Smart and some of the Georgia players there as well. They weren't thrilled with the overall effort. You don't get these sense, but they still won 43-6, to six, and there was never really much doubt at all that, that Georgia was going to coast an easy win, which is simply a matter of did they meet their own standard. Sounds like from Georgia's perspective, it didn't. What did you think about the game? Well, it is almost impossible. I, I don't know of a single team that goes the entire year without having a game or two where you go, well, that just wasn't our best. And if Georgia's not their best is a 43-6 to victory, I think we're sitting pretty. Uh, so it, it, it wasn't. It started a little bit slow. I think we all were like, holy cow, Missouri. Um, and then, you know, the, you just keep things rolling and, and you get the momentum on your side and Georgia's just so talented across the board that um, few teams can match, and obviously Missouri was very much outmatched, and it was evident uh, throughout that game. But the the fact that the standard is so high that the expectations are that Georgia can dominate and should, and um, to have a 37-point victory, and you say, you know what, we didn't come close to our best, and you're probably right. I think it just shows that the level of play and expectation that Georgia has created this year. Obviously, quarterback was a big part of this, and we will get to your thoughts on that. But I think before that, as I mentioned to our audience a moment ago, that it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback when you think about the fact that, or regardless of who's playing quarterback, when you think about a Jermaine Burton coming back healthy and Arian Smith coming back healthy, what Georgia now has at receiver with guys coming in to compliment other guys who've played well, but Georgia's been clearly thin at that spot. Smart was obviously happy about the return to form and the return to contribution from some of the guys who've been sidelined now there for a while. You let Georgia get some outside receiving weapons to go along with everything else it's been doing thus far this year. John, it really could be game over, go home for the rest of the country if that continues to evolve the way that it was hinted at on Saturday. Yes. I mean, the start of the season, your first three receivers, who would you have on paper? It's Pickens, Blaylock, Burton. You haven't really had any of those guys all season. And when you start thinking, God, as you've developed guys in this season and guys have stepped up, uh, McConkey being one and so many others, you had Bowers, the, the huge surprise as a, a freshman. I think there were some high expectations and you couldn't have had them lofty enough for them not to be exceeded as to what his, he's been able to do this year. And when you start adding pieces back, I mean, the, the speed and threat of the vertical game that Aaron Smith brings to the table um, it just you, your your mind starts to race with opportunities once you get guys healthy, and I think that's what's the biggest threat to Georgia. It's trying to maintain that roster and have your guys out on the field, and you appreciate the depth. You're grateful for it. Obviously, wide receiver is one of the spots that uh, has benefited from a, a quantity of riches that few teams get to enjoy because. You know, you go that deep into your into your roster, and most teams are like, "Well, uh, it's pretty explanatory as to why we're not playing the way we should." And Georgia hasn't need, needed to lean on that excuse. Um, they're four, five, six deep on the roster, 
and you haven't seen that vast drop-off just because, uh, as, as Kirby alluded to after that Florida game, uh, the amount of recruiting that's occurred in Athens and the ability to get players on campus and develop them is why Georgia is the clear number one team in this country. So when it comes to the quarterback spot, what I said on Saturday after the game was the fact that Daniels played it all, the fact that he got a chance to throw the football was to me a signal that Smart is at least still considering the possibility that Daniels could overtake Stetson Bennett return as this team's starting quarterback, that if Smart's mind was totally made up, maybe Daniels either plays, doesn't get a chance to throw, or maybe he doesn't play at all, even though the game was in kind of a blowout situation. That's kind of what we've seen Smart do in the past there. He's been kind of a one-quarterback-at-a-time type guy. But allowing Daniels to do as much as he did on Saturday, Daniels wasn't perfect and made a couple good throws, probably takes the blame for the interception. But allowing him to play when he did shows that Smart's mind is at least open to the idea that Daniels could could regain that spot that he once had prior to his injury. What do you think about what happened at quarterback on Saturday and what may happen the rest of the way? Well, I think it's good to see JT Daniels taking snaps and, and making throws. I, you start to worry how how significant and long-term was that injury. I think it was longer term than any of us anticipated. So the fact that he's back out there taking snaps, I don't care what capacity it is, um, that being able to get him uh, under center, playing against an SEC opponent, getting those live snaps and, and recognizing that he's coming back from the injury, I think that bodes really well for Georgia. Um Stetson is, has been consistent in what he's done. He's made some really nice throws. We've seen him, you know, create with his his legs and feet, and uh, you know that's what he brings to the table that folks are most excited about. And you know, he's not Michael Vick out there or anything. He's not Lamar Jackson, but man, he's able to uh, convert in some pretty timely ways and uh, move the pocket. And you know, there's reasons why folks are in that. Stetson camp that say even with a healthy JT, um, I think Stetson's our best option. I, you know, as I've said previously on this show, I think a, a healthy JT Daniels is probably raises the the level and opportunities that Georgia has as an offense. Uh, but it, it it mandates that he's healthy, and I think that's a, a credit to Stetson because of the the way he's played. Is it's. it's you know, unless you're at your best, we don't need to make any changes because Stetson's played so well given the opportunity. So let me give you two quick statements here on the quarterback situation. These are my beliefs. These are my opinions. I want to give you a chance to respond to them. The first one is this. We've heard some people say, well, given how well Georgia's defense is playing, it doesn't matter who they put at quarterback. They're going to win the national championship no matter what. John, I'm actually not quite so sure that's the case. I I don't think the gap between UGA and the rest of the country is so wide that, to use a phrase that I've heard people use, it doesn't matter who Georgia plays at quarterback. But let's say for a moment that really was true, that Georgia right now was the best team in the country, distancing itself the way that it's playing right now, including the players that it's been playing. If that really was the case, then no, I don't think Georgia should make any changes at all because why would you change something that was on its way to resulting in a national championship? I don't personally believe that's true. I think Georgia can be caught. I think Georgia under the right circumstances could be had but if it was true that this Georgia the one we've been seeing the last few weeks simply can't be beaten then you don't make a change just simply for cosmetic reasons what's your response to that 
Yeah, I don't think that's true. I don't think, I, you know, I think Georgia is the clear number one team in the country. I don't think that's debatable. But uh, there are very talented and capable teams. I mean, they've had their own let-ups throughout the season, and that's why they're not in the discussion for number one in the country. But you look at the, the dangers of you know, take Ohio State, for example. Those wide receivers, you don't think that they can cause problems? You don't think that they can put points up on the board? You don't think Oklahoma, when they're rolling, can score points? Same thing can be said for Alabama. Um, you know, that there are teams in this country that can score. And when they do, you know, you're going to have to be able to answer and match. Now, it is a more than a luxury that – Georgia boasts, and, and there is legitimacy to this claim that they had the best defense in college sports, possibly historically. And that's, that's the reason why Georgia is the clear number one. But you're going to have to, you, you're going to get in a game, whether it's SEC championship or the, during the college football playoff series, where you're going to have to score points. And having your best out there is is important it's not like hey we just need a game manager um i i fully expect at the end of this season you're going to be in a game where you're you're counting on the offense to step up and um it can't just be relying solely on the defense so one more for me on this and i promise we can talk about something different for the time that we have remaining so it sounds like you and i are kind of on the same page here, that at some point in time you're going to have to score some points to beat somebody to win a national championship game and i have to admit that I do believe that JT Daniels is the quarterback that's the best equipped to be able to do that. However, John, this may be where I'm a little bit different than some in that if you look at the reason why Georgia's number one right now, it's really Kirby Smart's plan and vision for this program that I think have led Georgia to be in the spot that it is right now. So here's the point that I'm forced to make because of that. If Smart chooses Bennett over Daniels, I think he's making the wrong choice. However, I sort of have to acknowledge that it's his choice to make. He has the freedom to make this decision however he wants to because of the credibility he's earned by having Georgia playing this well up to this point. He knows the inner workings of that locker room. He knows things that we're not privy to. He, he has a sense of this. It's his own legacy that's on the line if he gets it wrong in a way that a, a podcast host simply doesn't have the same type of thing at stake, obviously. I think that Smart's making the wrong choice if he exclusively chooses Bennett over Daniels. But I'm also kind of okay with Kirby Smart flying this plane however he wants to. What would you say in response to that? Well, I'd say it's it's more Todd Munkin and the offensive staff. I mean, sure. obviously the buck stops with Coach Smart, and he is involved in every decision. But uh, I could be wrong here, but – I'm sure that uh, the offensive coordinator has a has a, sure. a strong say in which direction they're going, and, and what they want to do with their offense. I'm, you know, there's in, in those meetings you're talking about staff and personnel and and deployment and what strategies you're going into, um, and of course your head coach is involved. But uh, the decision that's made is who gives us the best opportunity. Uh, to win games, what can we do? And this is for any position, and not just quarterback. But you know, obviously, that's what we're discussing right now because you've got two players that uh, you know have shown at times, man, they, they, what they bring to the table, and uh, it's a little bit different. And uh, it's become this hot 
hot topic across uh, all of Georgia sports of you know who's it going to be and what gives you the best opportunity. But I think it comes down to this. I think it comes down to um, when we're out there, when when you take the field, who gives us the best opportunity to make plays? And for the past few weeks, whether it's health related or otherwise, Stetson has been that clear answer. And um, I think what what is still yet to be determined is when JT is fully healthy and uh, then you have that decision to make. Is, is it the hot hand mentality where, you know, both are ready and we'll just figure out who's, who gives us, uh, you know, who's, who's hot that day, or is it, you know, there's the clear favorite and we're, we're going to ride him until the wheels fall off. I, I think that's what we're haven't seen yet. And, you know, there's still two, three weeks left to figure that out. Want to ask about the Tennessee game here coming up in a moment? Before that, let me remind folks: this is our classic city logger insider update. Our great insider John Sinchcomb, the former UG All American, a guy who was on the field Saturday for a, a terrific moment with former coach Mark Richt, and a guy who's obviously watching this Dogs team closely each and every week. And of course, a lot of you doing the same thing. And that tailgate leading up to that game to time to watch the Dogs. You're enjoying yourself some classic city logger from Creature Comforts Brewing Company. Obviously, it's a taste of Athens, but you don't have to be in Athens to get it. It's a true Athens original from our friends at Creature Comforts Brewing Company. And wherever you're doing your shopping, it's available six and 12-pack cans all year long. Lager-style beer, which means lighter in color. But listen, it's a craft-style lager. It means great, crisp, bold flavor. The kind of thing that you would expect from Creature Comforts Brewing Company. It just goes great with whatever you're doing this time of year. We love our friends there when it comes to Classic City Lager. And we invite you to check some out. I'm a simple guy. I like simple things. And Classic City Lager can be simply described. It's simply good, cold beer. So check out some Classic City Lager there today. John, let me finish with this topic, and then we'll let you move on with the rest of your day. I said this before you joined us. When you look at the Kentucky game for Tennessee on Saturday, that's Georgia's next opponent, Kentucky did almost everything you'd want Georgia to do in a game like this. 600 yards of offense, a very efficient converting third downs, scored every time they got the red zone, had the football for more than 45 minutes. And yet, if you look at like win expectancy and things like that, Tennessee was always throughout the game about an 80% likelihood of winning because they were so dadgum explosive in like the 13 minutes they had the football, they still found a way to score 40-something points or whatever the, the, their, their final score was, averaging more than 10, 11 yards per play that they don't need the football very much to be explosive. And this is obviously a Georgia defense that's stopping everybody right now. And ultimately, I believe it's probably the reason why Georgia also wins on Saturday in Neyland Stadium. But I believe the joint's going to be loud. I believe that Tennessee can, you know, certainly can't be efficient on a per-play basis against Georgia, but probably explosive enough that they can get the big play every now and then. John, even though Georgia's right now 20-something point favorite, I, I kind of expect Tennessee to hang around with Georgia for four quarters on Saturday. I don't think anyone can skate 11 weeks in a row without being tested by somebody. I have to be honest here that I think Georgia may be due for a test at Neyland Stadium on Saturday. In a roundabout way, way it may not be the worst thing for these dogs. Well, I, I, I would greatly appreciate a close game. I think those are uh, make your team stronger. It, it have some mental fortitude where it's the fourth quarter and, and plays still matter. And, you know, quite honestly, the way these games have played out this season, most of our starters aren't even in the game in the fourth quarter, much less, you know, trying to fight and rally and still scrap and say, hey, we've got to play a full 60 minutes. Those games have just been few and far between for Georgia, just because of the early dominance that they've shown in a contest. Now, I don't, 
I don't think that happens this week. I think uh, I hope that the, the anticipation and the practice and the focus is there because Tennessee has shown, and they as they did against Kentucky, that they are a high potency, uh, quick strike. They have those capabilities, but uh, you know, with the focus and preparation for those type things and. Uh, the way Georgia's defense is playing, I, I don't see it happening this week. I think there was a little bit of uh, a, a slow start against Missouri, and you're going, well, this that was, you know, a far inferior opponent, and hopefully that spurs itself into a much better practice week, and the focus is there, and now you've got film. Uh, of Tennessee doing what they did in, in Kentucky with very limited opportunities with the ball. Um, and I think that raises the focus and intensity for your defense. And uh, when you have focus and, and, and intensity matched with the uh, understanding and skill that Georgia has on defense, I, you know, I, I don't see that playing out two weeks in a row for Tennessee. And uh, I, I think Georgia is, is much better prepared to eliminate that big play capability that Tennessee does possess. John, great stuff. Thanks so much for uh, being here today for our Classic City Logger Insider Update. We always appreciate your insight on the dogs. Think we got some more surprises coming down the line with you here very soon. We'll look forward to telling folks about that then. But for now, I just appreciate you being here today and hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Always a good time, B.A. Go dogs. Thanks a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, really good stuff from John Stinchcomb there. Uh, very, very interesting insight from him about this upcoming Saturday's game against the Vols, what happened last week, uh, last Saturday against uh, Missouri. So good stuff with John with all of that. I also want to get into some of the other big news happening around the SEC right now. Let's do that. As a part of Cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean, and this is a great time to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. They're back on the seas once again. So many ports of call, so many great destinations, including uh, destinations all throughout the Caribbean, including destinations in the Bahamas, which means it's an easy cruise to be a part of, easy to get to. You know, Port Canaveral is really just a short drive from where I'm sitting, our Dog Nation World Headquarters studios right here in Atlanta, the Atlanta area anyway. Easy, short drive to get to Port Canaveral. Some great-looking ships. I talked to you before about Mariner of the Seas the recently amplified uh, you know, ship that's kind of there, and so many other great offerings from Royal Caribbean there around uh, that great Port Canaveral. And just a fun time to think about holiday-themed cruises or moving into the start of the new year, that, that great way to kick off a new year, early January, February, that kind of uh, cruise travel. I know my wife and I have been looking very closely at all of the different itineraries that are out there and uh, all the different options that we have for getting back on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. It's just fun to have Royal Caribbean back on the seas again. I know for many of you, as you start thinking about vacations, and you should, this is a great time to be doing all of that. I want you to think about Royal Caribbean for your vacation choice and a wonderful Royal Caribbean uh, ship uh, as they sail all across the world, but including some great destinations right there in the Bahamas, the Caribbean, and so much more. Uh, if you, In fact, if you want to find out kind of what the best option for you might be, my friends of the Cruise and Vacation Authority might be the best choice for all of this. I know they are. Uh, a couple former uh, dog alumni run the place. They're experts when it comes to the best Royal Caribbean cruise vacation for you. So the website for the Cruise and Vacation Authority, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That number, once again, 770-952-8300. Friendly voice on the other side will help you get set up with the perfect Royal Caribbean cruise vacation just for you and 
those that you care about that you're taking with you. And by the way, whoever you're taking, certainly lucky to be going along with you on that. So check out the cruise and vacation authority for a whole lot more on Royal Caribbean. All right, let's go cruising in the SEC right now, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Obviously, the big news after the embarrassing loss for Florida, and yes, we were celebrating that, Gator haters uniting over uh, what goes down with Florida getting beaten up bad by South Carolina on Saturday. You knew it was the kind of embarrassing loss that was going to require a response, and that response came yesterday. Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator, out. John Hevesy, longtime offensive line coach, out. The early words were that Hevesy was so bothered by this that he unfollowed Dan Mullen on uh, Twitter. No early word yet if Hevesy's players were also going to unfollow Mullen as well. We know for a fact they won't be blocking Mullen because Hevesy was never very good at teaching them to block anybody. But nonetheless, there was some social media fallout from what happened there when it comes to a to, to Grantham and Hevesy being out. There is also a lot of what seems to be credible reports of, I guess, credible rumors, if there's such a thing as that. Some fairly you know big known uh, Florida media voices have signal boosted this. There may have been a little bit of a testy exchange between uh, Dan Mullen, the Florida coach, and his boss, now at the second stop, Scott Strickland coming over from Mississippi State, hiring Dan Mullen, the former Mississippi State coach. Now they both work in the same job there at Florida. So Strickland's kind of been a Mullen guy. Mullen's kind of been a Strickland guy, but maybe a little bit at odds right now over the need to respond to what has turned out to be a disaster of a Florida season, taking the fifth loss of the year on Saturday. Nothing worse with what's happened there against South Carolina. Here's the backstory you need to understand on all this. Florida, historically speaking, is not one of these programs that really plays the money game the way that other programs run the SEC do. They are not in the the arms race, financially speaking, usually. In fact, think about the way in which other big-name boosters at places like Auburn and Alabama become somewhat famous. Tennessee has their own version of this, where guys who spend so much money, they are thought to have outsized power, and they just become well-known. Florida, for the most part, if you search the annals of your mind, who do you even think about? And for those of you that follow the SEC really closely, who's the big, powerful Florida booster that spends so much money that he gets extra say in what goes on there? For the most part, you don't really, you haven't really seen that in Gainesville. But many of you are also aware that Florida is in the midst of opening a brand new football facility. They have, for the first time, really spent big on facilities, and they've had to really tap the the donors to get a chance to do that. And some of them clearly are not very happy with the current state of the program. So that's probably put pressure on Scott Strickland to do some things he otherwise might not want to do, which is force Dan Mullen to make a move against assistance. The Todd Grantham thing is easy to do because simply uh, the Florida defense wasn't very good a year ago. It was sort of strange they even brought him back. In the case of Hevesy, much like, say, Greg Knox, who's worked with the running backs and others, you know, these guys have been unpopular with rank-and-file Florida fans for quite some time. There's always been a big divide between – how the media has kind of viewed Dan Mullen's leadership at Florida and how Florida fans have viewed that. For the most part, they've given Mullen a free pass, but some of Mullen's lieutenants have not gotten a free pass from the average Florida fan at all because it's kind of those guys they've blamed for all the recruiting failures that have come to pass since Mullen's been head coach there. So I get the impression that Dan Mullen may survive all this and he may return to Florida next season, but certainly he seems like he's going to be a neutered version of himself, forced to make changes both in terms of High-profile assistants like Grantham, uh, other assistants who had been with him for a long time. It's pretty clear that Mullen's going to have to change his ways in order to maintain his employment. And who knows if a old dog can learn new tricks or not. And who knows that maybe it's not the last loss that Florida suffers, and maybe that costs Dan Mullen his job there as well. 
But Florida, whether it's twisted arm or whatever else, they've been forced to enter the arms race for spending money on facilities and things like that that have been ongoing around the rest of the SEC. And with that comes additional pressure to win. You can't just shrug all this off and say, hey, we had a bad year, but look how good we were last year. We also lost four games, but at least won the SEC East. That kind of stuff's not flying right now in Gainesville. And I would say the tension that's thick right now is going to probably get even more intense in upcoming weeks, and we'll see if Florida can avoid another loss before the season's done. For those of us who are Gator haters and on this show, we make no excuses or no apologies for how much we do hate those lousy stinking Gators. And I tell you, this is uh, pretty fun to watch right now. By the way, uh, Bruce Feldman also letting us know that a former Georgia player, Christian Robinson, is going to be, I guess, the defensive signal caller uh, for Florida moving forward here. A lot of Georgia fans know C-Rob. Uh, there's also Wesley McGriff that's kind of in the fold there as well. There was some thought that he might be the defense coordinator. Ultimately, probably doesn't matter who's D.C. for an awful Florida team right now that's just simply trying to get bowl eligible. But uh, but you know, it is a little bit of a window into what's currently going on there at Florida that you got C-Rob, you got um, Wesley McGriff, you got others that are kind of in the mix for all of that. Let me also briefly mention this, that uh, Alabama on Saturday reminded you once again that this is just not the same Alabama team that it's been before that it remains to be seen how good Alabama is in comparison to the rest of college football deserving of the number two ranking deserving of a playoff spot we're gonna wait and find that out in the weeks to come but it is fairly obvious that Alabama is a poor comparison to what it was in 2020 what it's been for most the college football playoff era and all of a sudden now when they had a real chance to lose to LSU and we talked about this on Friday's show Alabama seemingly had a lot of motivation for this. Nick Saban on Thursday during his radio program didn't hide from the fact that there were some Alabama players that viewed this as a revenge game. Even though these two teams had played in 2020, Alabama had gotten a blowout win against LSU there. Whether it's just simply the fact they still have a bad taste in their mouth about Ed Orgeron and what he said he was going to do, you know, uh, uh, roll tide what, and he gave the expletive after that. Somehow, some way, that idea still existed around the Alabama program seemingly they had more payback coming for Orgeron and LSU and lo and behold LSU almost won the game and Orgeron after the game said he thought LSU should have won the game and and certainly they gave it a a game effort to be able to do so so with Alabama playing the way that it is right now with Georgia playing the way that it is right now you actually have kind of an interesting scenario unfolding in, in in college sports right now in that if you want to go back as recently a couple of weeks ago there was some reason to believe that Alabama would have still been a point spread favorite against Georgia in a hypothetical matchup in the SEC championship. I'll tell you why you can have some concrete evidence to support that. Go back to September for a moment. When Alabama went to Florida, Alabama was a 14-point favorite in that game. Now, you're going to give Florida three points for being the home team. That's just the common kind of assessment of all that the home team on a point spread gets three points for the home field advantage because it's tougher to win games at home and with that in mind Bama was still a 14 point favorite on the road meaning that had Florida and Alabama been playing in a neutral side game Alabama likely would have been a 17 point favorite well as you know Georgia and Florida do play on a neutral field and on October 30th when they played Georgia was about a 14 point favorite there so Very simple comparison here for a moment. This is kind of, you know, on the back of a cocktail napkin. But on the basis of that, you are led to believe that Georgia would have been, at the time of October 30th, a three-point underdog on a neutral field against Alabama. Are you following me on this on the basis of the comparison between how the two teams were favored against Florida? All of a sudden, that has changed. 
You probably read Mike Griffith's story, dognation.com yesterday. The Georgia-Tennessee point spread is out, and Georgia is a 22-point favorite on the road, which means that if uh, uh, Tennessee and Georgia were playing in a neutral field, they would be a 25-point favorite because the Vols are getting three points for being at home. Go back and make the comparison with what Alabama got when they were favored against Tennessee a couple of weeks ago, 25 at home on a neutral field. Bama would have just been a 22-point favorite. So since October 30th, we have some reason to believe that the Georgia-Alabama point spread may have flipped by as much as six points. Georgia, at the uh, couple of weeks ago, would have been a three-point dog to Alabama. It appears now that some of the betting houses, including possibly BetUS, kind of view Georgia as a three-point favorite against the Crimson Tide. So as Georgia keeps running and rolling, as Alabama has scuffled more than we're used to seeing them do, the betting markets appear to be noticing, and it appears that if things maintain the way they are right now, Georgia could be a point spread favorite against Alabama. Now, Georgia was also a favorite against Alabama in 2015 and got whitewashed. So being a favorite alone is not necessarily all that uh, important, but it is an idea that perception about these two teams has really changed. Bama may be number two in the country ahead of everybody else in the college football playoff top 25, but at least in the eyes of betters, Georgia has now overtaken Alabama in the perception game, and we'll see if they can also validate it on the field if they get a chance to play come December. But as many of you are aware, it's not even a guarantee that Alabama will be in the SEC championship game. First of all, in the three previous appearances for Georgia in the title game under Kirby Smart, Bama's only qualified for the SEC championship in one of those instances. Bama has actually sometimes doesn't quite get noticed. Bama actually has a nasty little habit of not making the SEC title game, not not being in that game against uh, uh, whoever's playing, Georgia or anybody else, in Atlanta. And they got business to take care of this year just to win the SEC West. If Alabama loses to Auburn, then that opens the door for Texas A&M to win the SEC West. There's also a confluence of events that are out there that could lead to total chaos in the SEC West. If like a six-team tie, that's at least still some possibility. But the simplest thing might be an Auburn upset of Alabama a&M continuing to win out, and then A&M winning the SEC West because of that. So interesting scenario playing out right there. We'll make that your SEC through. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, I want to give out a few golden shoes on the way out the door here today. Always kind of a funny thing and, and fun and enjoyable thing to be able to do for us with dogs on top, getting the win against Missouri, Florida struggling. we got a lot of theme related to both those topics here, including a lot of Georgia fans who were keeping that hashtag JD to NYC alive on Saturday, including rebuking some of the national media outlets that when they talk highs, when they don't mention Jordan Davis. Let me give credit here to Bank Six, who gave you the hashtag JD to NYC, and also tag me, Dog Nation Daily, when Fox put out its account of Heisman contenders and did not have uh, the Jordan Davis name there. So uh, pretty clearly trying to uh, make that argument there for Jordan Davis. We certainly appreciate that. Good job, Bank Six, on that front. Uh, also, Kirby's Copter kind of doing the same thing there, making the case, making the push for uh, Jordan Davis with the hashtag JDNYC. Appreciate that. Uh, letting Fox know that Georgia fans want to see Jordan Davis be that guy. Matt Lewis also helped keeping it alive there on Twitter, hashtag JD NYC. We briefly had Jordan Davis trending on Saturday. That was a fun thing to be able to see. Good job by Georgia fans doing that, keeping that hashtag alive. Obviously, a lot of Georgia fans also enjoying the suffering going on in Gainesville right now. Lost to South Carolina, assistance being fired. Jimmy Durham showing this funny photo from uh, Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago 
of the Florida support staff bringing a bunch of trash cans to go along with the stadium. I guess they're going to put ice in that or something like that. And Jimmy Durham says the Florida program really is garbage, which is very funny. And right now I think Florida fans themselves might even agree with that. He gives you the dogs on top, and Jimmy will make you a golden shoe winner for that. Uh, also, uh, UGA Nation 412 says, I'm just going to leave this expression right here. It's a very funny screenshot of Dan Mullen with a look of chagrin, I believe you would call that on the heels of watching his team getting beat at the time 33 to 10 it got even worse than that before it was all said and done and then steven at steven carnut on twitter shares with me one of these old school t-shirts i love the old school stuff that y'all send me including this one which is actually very appropriate as you kind of transition from making fun of florida turning your attention to tennessee on saturday steven saying friends don't let friends wear orange and obviously a reminder about florida and tennessee and auburn some of those orange-themed teams that dog fans don't like. So the Gators will make fun of them. I sit on Tennessee for Saturday, and certainly Stephen will add you to our list of Golden Shoe winners there for today. So I told you before, I do expect Saturday to be a challenge. I don't think that Tennessee's a very good team. There are plenty of teams worse than Georgia that would probably beat Tennessee. I'm sorry, worse than Tennessee. They're probably uh, worse than Georgia that would probably beat Tennessee. But sometimes it's an issue of kind of styles making fights, and I do think there's a style that Tennessee's capable of playing that is going to get UGA's full attention come Saturday. But let's say that Georgia goes out and just stomps Tennessee too. Let's say that Georgia goes out there and shuts down this high-powered offense in its own stadium. It's going to be cold that night, maybe windy there as well. Maybe that aids the attack. But the point is, let's say that Georgia just goes out there and, and, and does that. At that point in time, then you really probably have to embrace the idea that this team really is firing on all cylinders and ready for what's still to come fun time to think about all of this championship chase just getting started by the way speaking of the lousy stinking gators if things weren't bad enough or remind them that 355 days no matter who's coaching florida dogs go back to jacks will beat him again that's our gator hater countdown we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by pella window and door and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down a lot of good tweets coming in at dog nation daily i want to share some of these with you here right now and of course you can always hit me up there also in our comment section at dognation.com that's a good place to be for all of that we're talking about will anderson the or maybe that was during the regular show i forget if it was on video or the regular show we're talking about will anderson the alabama linebacker earlier tar heel dog um for life says that he thinks i mentioned before i thought will anderson was alabama's best player and he says he agrees with that he says that uh, Bryce Young may be the sexier pick because he's the quarterback, but Anderson's the beast of that team. Got to neutralize him if you want to win the SEC. That's why that discussion at left tackle has always been so important for UGA, both in terms of is Salyer going to remain there? It appears when healthy he's going to, but also you know what you do with the guy like Darnell Washington, or you almost certainly have to have a second guy other than just tackle blocking Anderson and as you saw in the LSU game this past Saturday they're also going to move him around a lot and get him involved interior pass rush things like that so you just have to know where he is at all times and that's why that preseason conversation is going to be so relevant at the end of the season there as well are you solidified enough in offensive line to keep him from wreaking havoc the Georgia defense is clearly better than Alabama's but from an individual standpoint Anderson's as dominant as anybody is and you've got to be very aware of him Greg Baker writes in to say, I use the phrase good stuff so much. He says, you should do something like a weekly recognition of a defensive player and call it the dog nation good stuff. I like the idea, and I think it's you know very well phrased. I do feel like I use that phrase good stuff too much. You're probably right about that. It's one of those things where the other one I do a lot is, and I hate to say this because now some of you are going to be noticing this, I say all right. So when I'm transitioning one thing to the next, I'll say, 
All right, and then I'll kind of move on to the next thing. I can really work hard not to have any verbal tics, not to have any any verbal crutches like that. Good stuff, all right. Some of the things that I say frequently. I, I guess when you're speaking extemporaneously for more than an hour, it's it's pretty difficult not to have some of that kind of stuff creep into the conversation because for the most part, I have no notes. I have no nothing. I'm just rolling here. I've got a couple of uh, reminders written down on a sheet of paper, and that's really about it for the show. So it's hard not to have some things kind of creep in there a bit, but I do notice from time to time. It's one of the things I try to go back and re-listen or re-watch a portion of the show a couple times a week, whatever else. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing because it can be a good thing in that you pick up some things you want to change. And obviously, it gives you the chance to make those fixes. But sometimes you get stuff in your head that then gets hard to get out. You want to be in a flow state when you do the show. And if you're noticing too many crutches, all of a sudden now you kind of go into a show a little stiffer, a little more, I guess, on guard, trying to defend against that kind of stuff. And you end up not being the best version of yourself that way either. So it's always tricky for me to to decide how much game film should I go back and watch and I mean of myself I mean how much how much tape should I go back and try to grind in terms of what I did well what I did not do well because sometimes ends up getting your head a little bit because I can promise you there is no bigger critic of me than me a lot of people are like that I'm definitely like that I just I some of the mistakes that I make from time to time issues that I have just get all over me I mean I'm talking about just makes my skin crawl especially with the high school football stuff Friday nights you know, getting back involved with that. I hadn't done the high school games in years. And so, you know, once again, it's one of those things where I go back and try to rewatch some of that and see what I can pick up. And then parts of it, I just get so upset with myself and aggravated that I uh, almost have to stop watching because now I'm kind of focused on the wrong stuff when I'm actually in the moment doing the broadcast. Uh, Chris Jackson reminding us that Jordan Davis is up for one of these senior uh, class awards. A great chance to support uh, Jordan Davis. I think UGA fans should do that. Michael Lawson writes in to say, can we talk about when we're going to stop calling Stetson Bennett the backup quarterback? Love the show. Uh, he gives us the Gator hater, says he listens every day. Appreciate that. And I think it's interesting, and I said this before, maybe this was on video, that against Tennessee, a team that I think is going to be explosive and probably explosive enough that at least keeps the game close with Georgia for a while, maybe into the fourth quarter. It's the kind of game where Georgia itself is probably going to have to be explosive too. And so if that's the case... And if Stetson Bennett provides that explosiveness, then that may be the moment where he is no longer the backup. That may be the moment where he's no longer the guy playing in place of a once-injured JT Daniels. Maybe there's just been a change made and a switch made. And some Georgia fans are going to agree with that. Some Georgia fans are going to disagree with that. But that just kind of might be that moment where it happens because there is very little to learn against Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech. At least that's my assumption. There is something to be learned against Tennessee learned by fans in terms of who Smart trusts on Saturday, and learned by Smart and the rest of this Georgia team in terms of who actually gets the job done for you on Saturday. But this could be the final moment that tells you what Georgia wants to be going into the month of December. I think that's a really good point, Michael. Lance Edwards gives you a good-looking picture of Jordan Davis. There's also one that I was watching. We do kind of what in the industry you call this a melt. It's when you combine a bunch of photos together or in some cases video together and you create kind of a video story of a game. There's one that we have of Jordan Davis where he's tackling a Missouri player. I have no idea who the Missouri player is. 
but he almost looks like a fire fireman rescuing a child from a fire. It's like, you know, he's crouched down. He's got like the, the player just wrapped around him. And it's almost like he's just caressing him. Uh, so if you saw it out of context, that's really what it looks like. It looks like he's pulling a child out of a burning building. That's how big and imposing Jermaine, uh, or I should say Jordan Davis is. Uh, our buddy Mad Dog gives us a very fun, funny uh, tombstone for third and Grantham. Yeah, it came to an end. It's it's uh, life came to an end uh, this weekend. That's very funny. Some of y'all send some golden shoe stuff. I also can't use on the show, uh, but but this is one we could probably get away with. Pretty funny stuff. Um, Paul Ashmore says that Florida is now ranked 13th in the SEC power rankings. Yeah, that's very funny. Arthur Roche also pointing out that Georgia's actually averaging more points per game than Tennessee is. A lot of people wouldn't realize that. I saw the other day, and I'm imagining this is still true, although maybe it's not true after this recent week, that Georgia's also averaging more yards per play than Ole Miss. So some of the offensive statistics for Georgia are better than folks would give them credit for. And given all the receiver injuries that Georgia's dealt with, beyond whatever's happening at quarterback, uh, beyond all of that, the fact that, that Georgia's doing what it's doing offensively is actually a real success story uh really and truly all right great comments appreciate you being here for our podcast cool down hope you all have a great day and we'll see you back here tomorrow for our podcast cool down after the show brought to you by rs andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning heating plumbing and electric needs also for dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia thanks for listening to the show today we really appreciate you being a part of it and we'll look forward to seeing you back here again tomorrow